Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Corey Poirier. Uh, Corey is, a, is an award-winning speaker and the host of uh, the Conversations with Passion radio show. He's also the creator of Blue Talks, uh, which both of which feature the likes of uh, Jack Canfield and John Gray. Uh, he's a multiple-time TEDx speaker and the author of a book called The Book of Public Speaking. All right, so he knows a thing or two about uh, public speaking. And, and so what we're going to be talking about today is how to get booked for a TEDx talk as an author and how to book speaking gigs as an author. This is a question we get asked all the time is either I'm a speaker who wants to write a book or I'm a writer who now realized that, hold up, speaking gigs are a great way to sell more books or a great way to uh, grow my business, all that stuff. And my new book published, I, I have a whole chapter on this is I call it author appearances. So author appearances in capital in caps, encapsulating podcast interviews, um, public speaking gigs, like PR and publicity, like kind of all those things. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Corey, welcome. Well, thanks so much, Chandler. I've been looking forward to this and we're definitely going to be into my wheelhouse because this is, this is my passion area. Yeah. So I, I want to talk book stuff just a little bit, and then I want to dive straight into the, the speaking on the back end of the book. So why did, you, why did you decide to write your book, um, the public speaking book? Like what was the purpose behind that for you, for your business? Like why, why write that book? So I will say it wasn't my first book. I, uh, in fact, it's my most recent uh, outside of compilation books. And so why I decided to write that book, and I'm, I'm glad you asked this, Chandler, because one of the things I tell people that come to me and ask about which direction should I go with my book is I always say, what are your goals? I find no, most people don't say, uh, ask themselves and say the answer to what do I want from the book? And so for me, it was very specific. That book was twofold. Uh, really was to build my backend business. And, and introduce people to my back end. So basically a funnel. And on the front end to add to my newsletter, which obviously still builds my back end business. So I really approach this book a lot different than uh, say, uh, I have a book called The Book of Why and How. That's with a traditional publisher. Uh, and so that was really related to wanting distribution for that book. This one here was really uh, related to how do I introduce people to my back end business? So mm. yeah, back end business type book. Cool. And then what was the, uh, what was the segue? How, how did you use the book to grow the business? This is like, how do people go from finding this book to doing business with you? Well, it's interesting because it even starts in a lot of ways previous to that step. You know, Chandler, I know the experience you have in the book world, you're familiar with book marketing sites where you can go to pay a book marketing site, let's say uh, $30 to send it out to their email list. Well, I found some of the book marketing sites that actually have business as a genre. And so what I did was just to start the launch with that book is I actually offered the Kindle version for free for five days on Amazon, like we can do. And then I actually paid those book promotion sites to send traffic. And then of course, I also promoted it to my own list. I promoted it to my social, uh, you know, social channels and basically tried to drive as much traffic as I could to grab the book while it was free. 
as a digital download. So that's as far as how I got people to the book. And then in terms of how I brought them into my world on the back end, within the book, and I know you talked about the importance of having at the front of the book, uh, a place for them to sign up uh, for whatever that gift is. And so we certainly did that. And so really it was them discovering the book, signing up to join our newsletter or reaching out privately after they got the book. But what ultimately happened then is they went into a funnel. So in other words, they signed up for the book and then they got their free, let's say, uh, copy of this or audio book or whatever it is that we were offering at the time. Uh, it always changes because we're always testing it. But then the next stage after that is then they're redirected to another website asking if they want to check out our Influencer Vault member site, which is a low cost monthly member site. And then if they say, and you know how the funnels work, but if they basically say no thanks or yes, then they get directed to the next page is, do you want to get on a call to talk about our speaking program? Mm, cool. Got it. So free book promotion helps people find out about the book. The book leads to kind of series of funnels on the back end, which leads to, in, in some cases, booking a call and that sort of thing um, to chat about doing business with you. That's kind of the, the, the flow. Yeah. And we really focused on, for this book, focused heavily on Kindle. You know, we did print sales, but Kindle is where we focused because again, to use those promotion sites, especially yeah. they'll only do it if your book is under a certain price anyway, yeah. and they want it to be Kindle. So, it, but it really worked well. But the big thing to take away, I think from that is to make sure you're reaching people that are in your niche. So mm -hmm. for instance, yeah. if I just went to book marketing sites and picked any genre, yeah. chances yeah. are the right people wouldn't have signed up for the book, but I, I only wanted to work with ones where they had business as a separate genre. Mm, cool. So begin with the end in mind, start with a focused target audience, go where your customers are and, and, and write a book that's related to your business, go where your customers are, promote that book. Um, and that kind of starts the cycle. Um, that's really helpful. Let's, let's, let's switch gears and, and kind of get straight to it on the, on the um, speaking side of things. So you've done multiple TEDx talks. This is another question that we get asked all the time is, people, uh, you know, writing a book and saying, hold up, like I've heard people doing TEDx talks, like I kind of want to do that. How, for you specifically, how did you book your first TEDx talk? Yeah, I, this is, I mean, like you're getting the question often Chandler, I can tell you uh, at one point we were getting this question two to three times a day. And it's because we had a speaking program first, but then people saw that I landed multiple TEDx talks. And they're like, can you help me do that? And a lot of people would say there's not sort of a system, but really when you reverse engineer it, even though it's all independent organized events, there is really a structure they follow. Um, so there's strategy you can use. And so what's interesting about that is the first one I landed, I didn't use the strategies I used to land the next two and the strategies I've helped other people use. So in terms of how I landed the first one, because that's the question here, uh, basically I went to a, there was a local event, TEDx event, somebody told me about. And I approached them because it was actually, it was really close. And I was like, why not? And TEDx was just, I don't want to say it was just starting to get really big, but it was like, it was right at that pinnacle where it hit its stride point. So everybody was saying, you need to do a, a TEDx talk. And what happened was I went and approached the organizers and I found out that I'd missed the deadline. So by the time I approached them, I think it was like two weeks past the deadline. They told me they had already selected all the speakers. And I said, no worries at all. And I said, is this going to be an ongoing thing? And they said, yes. And I said, do you mind if I still pitch you guys? So at least what next year, I'll be ahead of the game since I started late this time. And they're like, absolutely. So I, I pitched them. They did really like the idea. They did, I think, really like my background. What happened 
which is kind of the happy accident, is I got a message about a week and a half, two weeks before the event saying, hey, one of the speakers is too nervous. They've actually said they're not going to do it. And they said, normally we would go to the next speaker on the list, but because we closed it down long ago and already selected the speakers, we liked your topic so much. We're wondering if you would be willing to jump in. So technically I kind of jumped ahead of all these people that applied on time. Yeah. So it, it kind of worked in my favor, the fact mm -hmm. that I was reaching out to them after the application process. Yeah. Well, and I think a big lesson in there that I wholeheartedly believe in and um, I even think your book can be a way to do this as well is go directly to the decision maker and, and have a conversation with the decision maker. And not that that's not just an application. Um, and because you, because when they needed to make a call, who did they think of? It wasn't a random application that they looked at. It was the person that they talked to that said, put me in coach. <laughs> I'm ready to go this year, next year. <laughs> it's like, I always tell you, call me whatever you want. As long as you call me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I love that, that. And, and they, so you, that was a memorable experience for them. It sounds like. Yeah. And to your point, it actually, it's kind of funny because that was the catalyst for me figuring out how to reverse engineer this thing because of the fact that I went to the organizer and part of that was because it was so late in the game. I didn't have any other option. I just went on their Facebook page and I was able to decipher because uh, of the people that were, that were basically liking their own page. I was able to decipher who was a part of the TEDx and I figured out who mm. a couple of the organizers were. Oh, and so I went to them directly and I didn't even go through the TEDx page. I went directly to them on Facebook and Chandler, that opened up my mind to wait a minute. This is what, this is what most people are struggling with. They're, they're applying with 2000 other applicants. It's coming across a desk where there's only five people trying to cipher through 2000. So by the time they get to like, if you're 1800, they don't even probably Unless yours is that one idea that just jumps out or you have that background that's a national news story, they're probably like, oh, another one. And so I was, my whole thing is, what if you're one of only five or 10 or 15 that they know by name and they know by face? And so this gets into how you can actually stand out. Can you find the organizers and actually have a meaningful conversation with them so that by the time you actually do apply, because you'll probably still have to, they look at, at Chandler's application and say, this guy. This guy's been sharing my social media posts. When I put that, I was looking for somebody for my company. This guy shared it and helped me get an employee. This is the guy I got to put on that stage. Mm. And you want to be that person. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's, let's, let's touch on, uh, so I think you're getting to what kind of what, what you were saying earlier, which is how I did my first one isn't how I recommend and isn't the process that I would say to follow. And I think some, I'm assuming what you're saying here is part of that process. Can you lay out like at a glance, knowing what you know now, and obviously with your, the, the future ones that you booked and what you recommend, what's that you said, Hey, they've got a pro or I've got a process that we talk about. And then they've got a process that they follow. What's kind of that process of how you would recommend authors get booked at a glance. So if we're talking TEDx, specifically, what I would say is, I mean, so when we're talking authors, we got to add the book into the mix as well. And so this is an important point, because one of the things that I, uh, at the time, my book that I mentioned, the book of why was fairly new. And so I sent them details on that, like I sent them my website, um, about for the book, website for the book. And so they had a chance to take a peek at that and read about the book. And I really do believe firmly that because I think of it from the other perspective, if I'm going to hire a dentist in town and there's one that's the local celebrity that has the book and is on the local talk show or the other dentist, 
And even if the dentist that's well-known is 20% more, I have the perceived mindset that that person knows what they're doing with my teeth. They're the authority. And so everything I do, I lead with the book. And so as an author, what I would say is, don't forget about your book. Like when I was going to talk to those organizers, I mentioned my book and my pitch and it's on my email signature, by the way. And it's on my, uh, anytime they're communicating with me, they're seeing this guy's the author of a book. And so as far as landing it, I would say, people will say to me, does that part matter? I'm going to say yes, every day of the week, if you have a book and somebody else doesn't, that's going to be the thing at first that differentiates you. And if the book is on your topic area that you want to speak on the TEDx stage, all the better. I mean, let's look at Simon Sinek and Brene Brown, which was, which came first, right? The, the, you know, the chicken or the egg, it doesn't really matter. The bottom line is their book catapulted their TEDx talk and the TEDx talk catapulted their books. Uh, what I will say though, to further answer your question about what does that process look like? Really, it comes back to, first of all, thinking about what it looks like on the back end. Now, I, I, I've spent enough time in the TEDx process that I know a little bit more about what it looks like, meaning I know what the organizer is looking for. Uh, and by the way, when I asked an organizer one time to actually put that into words, he said, what we're looking for, and see if I get this right, he said, is for somebody to share an idea around a subject that we know quite well, but in a way we've never heard it before. And share the idea in a way we've never uh, would never have understood it before, but do so in a way that we can all understand it. <laughs> so it's like an enigma and a riddle. But to me, what they were saying is we want a new take on an old idea that we all can understand. And so, uh, you know, if you start to understand what they're looking for, then it helps you, obviously, in applying. But let me give you a couple examples. First and foremost, uh, you really need to think about the fact that these are five people or six people sitting in a room deciding on the talks. This isn't like a corporate thing where it's going through a thousand hands. So you need to make some sort of meaningful and lasting impression with those four or five people. The more the better of those, but if you're the only person that three of them know by name, like I said earlier, your odds just go through the roof. And if they, and if, here's another thing, we talk uh, often about the importance of and value of sending a free book to somebody. Maybe you ask the organizer for their address and send them a copy of your book. If yes. they start reading your book and they have a win, the game changes. All of a sudden, yeah. you're the go-to person. So, yeah. and, and we can go further down this rabbit hole, but hopefully that gives a little bit Chandler in terms of you can use the book as the lead to land the talk. And there is a process. And part of that process is recognizing these are real people. So mm -hmm. how can you add value? So maybe you like them on social media and we can even talk to strategy for how to find them, the organizers, but you find them on social media. And like I gave a hint to, you see that maybe they're looking for a volunteer for the TEDx event. You might not want to be a volunteer there, but share yeah. that with your network. And then they go, this person took the time to share and only three other people did. Yeah. So you really just want to stand value. out. Yeah, that's great. So we've got, um, so you kind of, we bucket this in a few things. So we've got, we've got who is making the decision and those five decision makers and making a lasting in, uh, impression and adding value um, uh, to those folks. We've got kind of what they're looking for. Uh, and you said it's, it's, a, it's a new take on an old idea or, or you know, kind of the, as they would call it, like a big idea. Um, and uh, our, our ideas worth sharing, I think, is, is the tagline. Exactly. And so, uh, so that makes a lot of sense. And you alluded to this earlier about how you looked at, um, you went to the organization Facebook page of that event and said, who's liking this? Because that, that probably if there's only 10 likes, you know, so one of those people is going to be an organizer. Any other tips for how you actually find out who those three to five organizers and decision makers are? 
Absolutely. And, you know, let me also add into Chandler into the part of what they're looking for. This, I, this is a, this will give people a perspective of how important it is to really understand that other person's perspective. And I'll, I'll answer both of these really quickly, but I'll say another big thing is to understand what they're looking for in a person. So they're looking, you, you said the key thing, they're looking for the idea first, then the person. And mm. so because of that, they're not looking for a motivational speaker. And this is really a tough thing because by the way, the TEDx is probably the lowest paid talk you'll ever deliver and probably the highest profit. So it's really tough for a speaker to get their head around the fact that they're not looking for a speaker. So by the way, was I a paid motivational speaker or inspirational speaker or educational speaker when I did my first TEDx? Yes. Did I promote that heavily? No, because I had been given a little bit of insight. The fact that they're not looking for that type of speaker means you don't go heavy on it because it's not going to appeal to them. But here's where that uh, trips people up. The questions they ask on the uh, nomination forms are often different, but there's different variations of the same questions. And one of the questions they often ask is, how experienced are you at delivering this talk? So, and how many times have you delivered it? So anybody going into that, that doesn't know any better would think, well, they're wanting to know I'm experienced in delivering and I'm going to be comfortable on the stage. So I better say I've delivered this talk many times. Here's the problem with that. They're looking for a new, fresh idea but they don't tell you that with the question. So it trips up a lot of people and it could be the first question. And all of a sudden you're disqualified because you said delivered it a hundred times. They don't ever even tell you that that's not a good thing. They don't want to talk that's been delivered hundreds of times. And I was uh, talking to a TEDx organizer one time who told me 99% of the people uh, that apply don't make it because of how they answer the first question. So when we think about 2000 applicants, we think, oh my gosh, I got a less than 1% chance. But all of a sudden, when you realize that whatever number that is, 1900 and some, actually didn't make it past the first question, that means if, as long as you even know how to answer that question, you already got a pretty good odds of at least being in the mix. Um, the second thing, just to finish that off, uh, unless you want to jump in, but I'll, I'll tell you the other oh, answer. No, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the organizer mm -hmm. part, because I want to make sure I answer that, because I know uh, you asked that part a couple of times. I want to make sure I circle back to that. And so... They, finding the organizers, really it comes down to creative research. And here's where it gets tricky. Not all TEDx uh, events have a website. So some of them do, some don't. But like you could go, for example, TEDx Kansas, maybe. And you go there and you do everything you can, no website. So where do you find out about the event? It's on TED.com. Now, the good news is when it's on TED.com, often they'll list at least one of the organizers. So first of all, you could go to TED.com, search. And how you would search it is, is if you want to attend an event, you would search upcoming events. And then basically you can search by area. You could even search Kansas. It'll probably come up. And when you get to that page, it'll usually say the organizer. That still doesn't give you any contact info though, by the way. Second thing is if they have a website, then it may not be on there. It usually isn't, but sometimes it'll be on there too. So what you're trying to do here, the first stage is you're just trying to find out the name of the organizer. And a little hint, the more unique the name, the better for you. So for example, uh, John Galland or John Smith, may not be easy to figure out which one it is that's actually associated with TEDx. But if it's a very unique name, like even my name, uh, or your name especially, Chandler Bolt, I don't think there's many of those in the world. So if you, here's what I'm getting at. If you go to, let's say, LinkedIn, you can actually search under a hashtag, and you could search hashtag, uh, first option, if it was, say, Kansas, hashtag TEDx Kansas, and see what comes up. Then you could actually search by job roles. So you could actually go and say, okay, who has a job with TEDx Kansas? Then, uh, and so you keep doing that. Um, 
the other thing, so that's one option is you do a unique search and you, if they have a, if they're listed, they want to brag about the fact that they're involved in TEDx. And so usually most of the people on LinkedIn that are associated with that TEDx event will come up if you know how to do the search creatively. But the second thing you can do is if the name's unique enough, which is why you want the unique names first, is Chandler Bolt. If you search it and they're on social media, you're probably going to find him. And to confirm if it's him, you just go down and see, does he list TEDx as one of his job titles? Because he probably will if he's involved in TEDx. So, and that's two of, you know, a myriad of different ways you can do it, but it's, it's just being creative about how you research to find the organizers. Because again, it's not like there's any website that says, here's all the organizers involved in every TEDx event. Mm. Sadly, you have to do a bit of research. Yeah, that's great. So that's how you find the organizers. Then, then that's how you avoid getting tripped up on that one question in the application. Also know what they're looking for. Then we talked about adding value um, and getting kind of on their radar. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. Any final, so any final tips on once you found out who the organizers are, you filled out the application, but then you've probably also done kind of reconnaissance and sent them a book or, uh, you know, kind of you're trying to stand out outside of that. Any final tips on how to increase your likelihood of getting accepted? Yeah. So, and, and I will say, I mean, it's funny, Chandler, I, sometimes I forget how much is involved in it because, you know, I'm so scratching the surface in the sense that you still have to get the talk, but when you get to talk, you have to know how to deliver a TEDx style talk on a stage. It's a 20 minute, you always, almost always less than 18 minutes. So I always just round it up, but let's say a 20 minute talk. And it's definitely its own style of talk. Although I will say, I think most people should be using that style of talk for keynotes everywhere because it works, but it is still its own style of talk. And then the other part is, what do you do once the talk comes out? People don't know how to leverage it either. And so I see some people with now these days, because there's more TEDx talks than ever with hundred views on it. And so, and then of course, if you have a TEDx talk, are you getting in front of the right views? Because a hundred of the right views, if 80 booked you as a paid speaker, it's definitely, a, it's a win. Uh, but anyway, that's, I mean, I just want to say there's a lot to cover. So when I think about what else can I offer that could help somebody in the process, rather than getting into the, uh, the basically the delivery approach and what you do when you're on the stage, more so to how to land the talk, I would say another little tip worked really well for a number of the people we've worked with is actually to go on social media and say, and depends how deep you want to get into this, but to say some form of, I'm thinking of delivering a talk around this. I'd love to do it on a TEDx stage. What do you think? And you just put it out there boldly to the social media world. A, you'll find out how many people love the idea. But B, if you have either a person in your network that you don't realize is involved in TEDx or one degree away, they see not only that you're looking to do one and they might not have known. Secondly, they just seen the social proof that that talk is popular. So just like you would do with a book cover, and I think you talk about this in the book, putting book covers out and saying, which one do you like? And you mentioned in the book, uh, you were going to go with one cover, but the votes came in for the other one. And you're like, all right, I guess this is what they want. Same idea. If they see that, that's the social proof. And maybe they didn't know that Chandler wanted to do a TEDx. And then, and this happens, by the way, they might reach out privately and say, Chandler, dude, 
I didn't know you went to deliver TEDx. I'm the organizer at such and such, or I just got a license to do this TEDx event. You're in, you're in. Now they you formally might still have to apply, but my point is all of a sudden you just jump the queue. And so knowing who the organizers are and building a deep relationship. And then secondly, getting out there and letting the world know you want to do one. And maybe by the way, like I said, you might be scared that somebody's going to steal your idea. I would argue that if it's your idea, you can only, only you can deliver it the way you will. So maybe you, you ease into how you put that out there, but in some form or another, get that social proof, get that engagement, and then also potentially have people knowing you want to deliver one. So they either help you get it or the person directly comes to you and says, Hey, dude, I didn't know you wanted to. Mm, that's awesome. That's, that's a, such a great tip. Um, and, and, uh, it's kind of, um, you know, talk about, uh, Gosh, it makes me, we're, we're very aligned on this type of thing. I, I know I've got a, a chapter in the, the new book on author appearances um, where I talk about the three R's, so research, referrals, uh, and reach outs. And so that's like the referrals and advocates piece. So you're kind of stoking the fire of your network and, and, getting, and getting people to raise their hand saying, oh, by the way, I'm involved. Um, so this is, gosh, this is really good, Corey. Thank you so much. So we've got, uh, we, we've got all the way up into kind of booking and you mentioned, hey, there's a whole nother thing of like, how do you, how do you uh, make sure that you're speaking to the right audience, you know your talk, um, that sort of thing. Let's maybe speak to two pieces. I know these are two big questions, but picking your talk topic uh, and then nailing your talk. What, what's, what's kind of your best advice on those two things? Wow. So it's funny because I'll, I'll go back a step and say, even just doing what I mentioned about sending it out to the world will help you pick your title in a lot of ways because there's two parts to that. One, you can say, here's my topic I'm thinking of delivering. Get engagement there, see what people think. And then you could literally follow that up with and say, any suggestions for a title? Like you could even get the person to literally come up with your title. But what I would say is if you want to come up with a killer title, typically speaking, now every rule is meant to be broken. Typically speaking, you want a short title. And by the way, now we're outside of the TEDx realm. This is any talk. So TEDx or any other talk. But you want a talk title or a title for your talk that's short, but it's in some ways tells people what they're going to get from it. So I, I'm a big believer in sharing the results. And at the same time, it, it not only tells them what they're going to get, but it piques their interest. And so about, the, you know, this is something that maybe I never heard before. So let me give you an example. I'll give you two examples, actually, from some of our students. One of our students, uh, she, uh, her background it, it basically, uh, she was kind of taught that divorce is a no-no. And so her family encouraged her to stay married, even though she wasn't happy. She ultimately went through that divorce. And I think, you know, they even parted ways with her for a while. Like her parents were like, this is, you know, this is not cool. And they parted ways. And so she wanted to deliver that message in North America because she realized not many people have been exposed to that. So we know divorce is popular. And by the way, we even, like we did a search on YouTube to see how popular divorce was. How many views the topics had and how many topics had the term divorce. And what we discovered is it's a really popular topic, but there's not as many people as you think that have spoken on it. And bigger than all of that, uh, her unique take is different than everybody else's. So here's the title we came up with for her talk, Surviving My Forbidden Divorce. So it tells you in a lot of ways, everything you need to know about her talk, but at the same time, and it also tells you why it's different than other ones, but it also piques your interest about why was your divorce forbidden? What does that mean? Divorce isn't forbidden really in North America. So it, it, it works on multiple levels. Another example, and she did what I shared. She came to our inside group, our private group and said, 
here's the title I think I have my, for my talk. What do you guys think? And I can't remember what her title was, Chandler, but it was like, it was like, I don't know if you ever heard of the book title. Uh, what is it? How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling. And it was like one of the most uber successful books whenever there wasn't any books around. But now I think, can you imagine that book title coming out? It's like, it, it wouldn't probably never work. Yeah. And so she, uh, she came with us with a title that long and it wasn't even really pithy. It didn't really just jive or, or you know, jump off your lips or anything. So she said, what do you guys think? And here's what, here's what my talk's about. And basically her talk was about, uh, she struggled with stuttering when she was younger. And now she proudly gets on stage and shares her story without, without stuttering. Her title at the end, we got it down to from stuttering to standing ovations. And then we ultimately said, we don't need the from anymore, stuttering to standing ovations. And it's all you need to know. So, you know, what's the takeaway there? Short title that tells you most of what you need to know, but also piques your interest. Mm. Well, that's in the title side. I would just, I, I'm giving you samples of the titles, yeah. but hopefully the takeaway as well is get feedback from people. Yes. And again, we talked about it earlier, but if you're willing to put it out to your, your and I mean, you might have a private group, doesn't even mean publicly, but yeah. say, here's the five titles I'm thinking of. What do you guys think? Yeah. And you're going to find out pretty quickly what people resonate with. Yeah, that's so good. Cause those titles, I mean, it's just like a book, right? The title is so important <laughs> and, and, and it's almost a different type of title, right? It, it's, it's, there's overlap for sure, but it's like, it's this, how do you have a provocative uh, and, and provocative, but clear enough title, but, but not so clear that there's no curiosity because the curiosity drives the click, like all that stuff. That's like, man, I really wrestled over the, uh, the title for mine. And at the end of the day, I don't know if I, if I really nailed it or not. Um, I kind of did a mix of SEO and, uh, provocative. So the title to mine, uh, is good gosh, I'm going to have to even look it up. Um, but it's how to write a book in a weekend was kind of like the, the main hook. So how to write a book in a weekend, serve humanity by writing a book, but which that, I think that last part's pretty weak, but the, I, I wanted to, my thought process, which I'm curious your feedback on this, um, is I wanted to rank for the term, how to write a book on YouTube. Um, and so if I knew if, how to write a book in a weekend, it's provocative ish, um, uh, but then also it, it would rank for search. And, but then I really wrestled. I'm like, should I go down this route or should I go college dropout turn best? Like something that's like, okay, really hit like the stuttering, the standing ovation or like the, you know, kind of like that, uh, that, that, that provocative title. What's your thought on going for search versus going for like more of a provocative title that, that gets clicks? I, I mean, I know this is not meant to be any kind of copy or answer or deflection, but yeah. I actually think either works. So I think if you're going to yeah. go for uh, an option, I think either of those two are the answer. So give us a title that people are searching because the thing is what people are searching, it also tells you that's the problem they have. Like that's the, that's they're looking for a solution for that. So to me, when you see a book, the title that gives you the solution to your problem, that's just as powerful as a book mm -hmm. title that makes you go, what's that about? Or that's super catchy. Yeah. So for instance, uh, we're changing the title of our book now. We're getting ready to change it, the speaking one from the book of public speaking to getting paid to speak for just what you're talking about. Now, what it does, I, I feel, is it tells you what we're delivering. Smart. It tells you what you're going to get. It's more niched, of course, but also okay. that's the search term. Yeah. You know, how do I get paid to speak? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I think both work, Chandler. And I do like the title of your book because everybody wants quicker, faster now. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that answered the question, but I, I like it, but I also like, I, I'm, I think both work either or, yeah. or both work. Like 
you know, you look at the books like The Four Agreements or Celestine Prophecy, you know, or Pop. I don't know if you're familiar with Pop, the Sam Horn. Oh, the way by is a great, she's a great resource if you're wanting to know how to come up with cool titles because that's her whole focus. But if you hear the name Pop with a book, it doesn't, you don't know what that's about at all. And the Celestine, until you read it, you didn't really know what it was about. And same with Four Agreements. So these are books that the title doesn't tell you what they're doing, uh, what, you know, what they're helping you do, but you never forget the name because it's such a powerful name. So I just think as long as it's powerful, as long as it gets people talking or it tells them what the result is, I think you're on the right track. Cool. And I was just, um, I guess in some ways it, it, it worked. And this is why, uh, you know, the talk has, or part of the reason why the talk has 211,000 views so far is I just searched on YouTube, how to write a book um, and in an incognito window. So it is not biased to my search. And, and the TEDx talk is number two um, and, or my TEDx talk is number two. And, and I think part of the hack there is that it's obviously a massive channel. So big channels get boosted in the search rankings. And then it's a big channel with a, an exact keyword match, which is, that was kind of part of the strategy there. Um, Corey, we're running right up on time here. Final question. We've got kind of two final questions. Um, first one would be, what would your advice be? Because we, we, we didn't really fully get into nailing the talk. Um, but what, what would your advice be to folks who are like, hey, I'm not a speaker or I don't know if I can speak, so I might not even try this. Like, I don't know if I have what it takes to actually give a good, good talk. What would your advice be to those folks? So this is something that it took me a long time to learn, which is that it's, Zig Ziglar used to say, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no, what is it? He said, uh, there's no such thing as a born salesman. Mm. And, oh, know, yeah, I, I would, and when I would make the argument, there's very few. I'm not going to say there's no born, but there's very few born speakers. So one of the things that was hard for me to realize when I was younger, Chandler, because I, by the way, I should clarify, I was that dude. I was the guy that would freeze up and sweat coming down. And, and so I know firsthand that you can learn this thing. So what I would say, first of all, to the person that says, I don't know if I could learn this, you can. But the key thing is to understand there's fundamentals. There actually are fundamentals that always work, or at least almost always work. So just really quickly, because we talked about nailing the talk, um, and I'll, I'll share this super quick. But, you know, one thing is always work in threes. So I learned this in my, my stand-up comedy days, even before speaking. Uh, but I had somebody on the show one time, and I said, can you give us some strategy? And he said, yeah, Corey, I'll give you three. I said, okay, great. He said, do you know why I say three? And I said, no. He said, because there's only four numbers in the world. Four numbers? What's, what are those numbers? He said, one, two, three, and far too many. And so the message there is, as people, if you think about it, psychologically, books, right? Three acts. Uh, plays, three acts. Movies, three acts. I mean, this is how we've been conditioned. And so for that reason, your talk should have three acts. So, but what I mean by that is, I mean, not only should it be kind of split that way, but more importantly than that is you shouldn't have more than three takeaways. Because we're in a world now where, uh, I remember Tom Ziegler one time, Zig's son told me that his father... Uh, was told that he was such a great speaker because he could change things up every seven minutes because that's how long it was between commercials in the 70s. Well, now though, Tom, and Tom said, and I agree with him, now you got to change it up every couple of minutes because we're busier than ever before. So for the same reason, don't try to make people walk away with 10, you know, 10 takeaways. So first of all, I would say to nail your talk, make sure you're, you're having three or less things you want people to walk away and remember. Uh, I would also say have a hero and a villain in your story, even if it's not a person. So people love to have stuff to throw rocks at and they love to have stuff to cheer for. So whether it's um, like you battle a certain disease and beat it, well, the disease could be the villain and your hope could be the hero. But what I'm getting at, Chandler, is even if you never say the words hero and villain, 
go through your talk as you're building it and make sure you have a hero and a villain. And, you know, of course, you know, I could talk for quite a while on the different things I would uh, say to focus on. But what I would say, since I don't have enough time to go through all the little nuances, I would say, watch the top speakers and sit down and take notes of what they do. Watch somebody like Elisa Nichols, who just knows how to take you on an emotional ride. Then watch a Steve Jobs, who was totally different, you know, methodical, walk the stage. But watch him, he counts at everything. And it's always in threes or fours. It's, it's very intentional. And so my point is, watch the, watch the giants. Study at the feet of giants and say, why is what they're doing working? And then figure out how you can take that into who you are. Again, like I said, I would love to do a whole class on all the different nuances. But if you remember to always make sure you're never having too many takeaways, always have a hero and a villain, uh, focus on emotional connection with the audience just as much as content of your talk. And then if you look at what the top speakers are doing and figure out a way to use those fundamentals, I think you're in pretty good hands. Mm, man, gosh, this is good. Well, Corey, this has been so unbelievably helpful, like a masterclass and uh, landing and, and a TEDx talk and delivering a great TEDx talk. What would be uh, kind of your, uh, or, or not even, you just said parting piece of advice. Where can people go uh, to find out more about you, uh, to find out more about what you're up to, check out your book, kind of all that good stuff? I feel like the best place to send people. And it's, you know, it's something that uh, we just put together. So I'm kind of excited about it, but, and it's related to both in business, whether you're an author uh, personally, but I've interviewed, I don't know if you know the numbers Chandler, but it's thousands of thought leaders, yeah. like plus yeah. 6,500 6, plus. And so you get to learn a few things uh, about what the top thought leaders do differently. And so what we did is we put together a couple of exercises that people can use uh, first of all, to find their purpose, which of course is going to help you in writing your book, especially if your book is around your message, and then how the top people decide who to associate with. So we put together uh, basically a free exercise you can actually fill out. So if it's okay, I'll just tell people how to grab perfect. that, and that's yeah, perfect. Let's get into our yeah. sort of our our, uh, our network, our community, and so it's uh, thepassioncure.com backslash Corey. And uh, as we talked about, whenever uh, you were on my show, uh, Corey is C-O-R-E-Y. So it yeah. does have me, uh, but it's thepassioncure.com backslash Corey. And you could jump on there and get that free exercise. And I would love to have you reach out and tell me your experience with it. Perfect. Thepassioncure.com forward slash Corey. And that's C-O-R-E-Y. Uh, Corey, you're the man. This was so helpful. Thank you so much. An absolute pleasure, Chandler. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you could be listening to, YouTube channels that you could be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help this podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. 
All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.